Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. We started a new series called Heart Matters. It's interesting the way that you look at those two words. It can be heart matters or heart matters. And really, that's what we're, we're seeing as we, we talk about what the heart is. And today, I want to talk to you about what it means to receive a new heart that is like the heart of Jesus. And I want to show you a contrast in the message today between a hard heart and a heart that is fashioned after the image of Jesus Christ. I want to start with a quote from C.S. Lewis, and this is from Mere Christianity. And he, he says this about the claims of the gospel, about the claims of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He says this to all of us, and I want you to listen carefully. He says, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you. All of you. I've not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make of you a new self. In my image, turn, excuse me, give me yourself, and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. Amen? Last week, we learned about our hearts. We learned that our hearts need a transplant because left to themselves, they are evil and selfish without the redeeming grace of God. But with the redeeming grace of God, they can become new. We also learn that God wants to give us a new heart that's full of His Holy Spirit and full of His love. Today, we will continue that journey to understand that it's always all about the heart and that the heart matters. Amen? You know, just a a side note here. As you read the Bible and you go on a journey through Scripture and you, you come to the New Covenant, you come to the New Testament, and you begin to read the story of Jesus and you look at what we call the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the things that you see about Jesus over and over again is that Jesus was not satisfied with dealing with outward appearances and putting paint on the building and making everything outside look good. He was concerned with the structure. He was concerned with the foundation. He was concerned with the heart. He was concerned with the essence. He didn't just care about outward religion. He cared about what is it inside of human beings that motivates us and moves us. And when Jesus walked the earth and preached, his messages always seemed to have this ability, like a sword, to go right to the heart of whatever the issue was, and expose what was really going on in people. And if there was beauty going on in there, Jesus brought it out. And if it was darkness and ugliness, He brought it out. So we're going to look at some things today in the Scripture that really capture that idea. 
that it's all about the heart, that the heart matters. Amen? Amen. Now, my key scripture text last week was Proverbs 4, 23 through 27, and I'm going to do a little bit of review right now, but let's look at it together. This is the New International Version. It says this, above all else, guard your heart. Notice those first three words, above all else. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Last week we looked at the progression of the heart, the mouth, the eyes, the feet. The heart, the mouth, the eyes, the feet. The heart, the mouth, the eyes, the feet. Sorry, the heart, the mouth, the eyes, the feet. That could, you could turn, those of you that are more gifted than I am and freestyle good, maybe you could turn that into a rap or something, okay? But think about it, the heart, the mouth, the eyes, the feet. And I, I brought out the idea that the heart is the center of life and God's outflow of life. Our heart is where we live our life from. Whatever flows out of the inner spring of our life ultimately comes from our heart. And then from the heart comes the mouth. And what I want you to see is the heart being a wellspring has exit places out of our life. The heart is the spring inside of us. And there are these exit points in our life. The the, the mouth is an exit point, right? The eyes are an exit point and the feet are an exit point. And what we see is that when the heart is right, what we say will be right and pure Where we look will be right and pure, and where we walk will be right. But if the heart is wrong, all the rest of it will be wrong. Our mouth, how we speak about God, our life, people, our purpose, destiny, all of it will be influenced. Our eyes, the vision we have for life, what we look and behold, what we look at and behold, where our eyes go when no one's looking, all of those things are influenced by the state of the heart, the feet. Our walk with Christ on a day-by-day basis and our ultimate journey and destiny. Where do your feet take you? What kind of walk with Jesus do you have? Are you walking places you shouldn't be going? Are you walking into the good things that God has for you? The heart is the ultimate source of all of those things. And there's a progression. You ever notice that you know, what you're saying ultimately will, uh, you know, it will influence what you're seeing? And what you're seeing will ultimately influence where you're walking. And just think about that, you know, put a blindfold on and try to walk. The eyes and the feet are connected together. And so it all starts with the heart. I I shared with you last week that the definition for the word heart in both the Hebrew and the Greek, when you put them all together and you really study it out and you dig in, the basic idea is that the heart is the center of our being, the seat of the mind, will, emotions, spirit, imagination, intellect, affections, passions. It's the intersection point of the spirit and the soul. It's that place where our, our deepest humanity and the deepest divinity of God, if you're a Christian, and the spirit indwells you, it's the place where the divinity of God within, through the Holy Spirit, and the humanity, the mind, the will, and the emotions intersect. And out of that we live. And I shared with you last week as well that good and evil flow out of the human heart. The unredeemed heart is captured in Jeremiah 17, 9. 
And I, I shared that whatever evil proceeds from a person proceeds out of the heart. And Jeremiah, in his time, had this to say about the human heart. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That word wicked in the ESV is desperately sick. And the idea is it's irredeemably sick. It needs to be completely redone. It's like terminal. And then we learned in Matthew 15, 18 through 20, when Jesus was speaking about what defiles a person, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And Jesus was dealing with the religion of that time. They were very caught up in how you clean your dishes, how you washed your hands, making sure your hands were clean and your dishes were clean while your hearts were dirty. And Jesus was saying, look, I don't care about all your outward religious observances. That doesn't mean anything if your heart is corrupt and decaying and dirty. But we also learn this, whatever good proceeds from a person flows out of the spirit-filled heart. And I shared with you that the heart isn't, you know, sometimes when you ask people, what is the state of the heart, what you get immediately, for most Christians that I know, is desperately wicked. And while that is true of the unredeemed heart, the scripture seems to indicate that in the new covenant, through the new birth, we go through a heart transplant and God reaches into us and he takes a stony heart out of us and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. And the scripture even says he writes his laws upon our hearts. So it's possible to go through a heart change. But here's another truth that's interesting and that is that you can actually have a heart transplant, have a heart change, and through time, by allowing certain things to come in, that's why the writer says, guard your heart above all else, over time, through bitterness, unforgiveness, the hardships of life, suffering, sin, and not repenting of it, and just kind of letting yourself, over time, kind of, you know, back, up, back away from God and, and let life kind of win the battle, you can, over time, begin to develop again a hard heart. And so there are things we do as stewards to keep the heart. I love, I love though, that good can come out of the heart too, not just wickedness. Jesus says this in, in John chapter 7, verses 38 through 40. He says, on the last day of the feast, this would have been the Feast of Tabernacles, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. I mean, this means he lifted his voice and he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here's this idea. The heart can be where a river flows from. And that river will be life-giving. That river will be filled with good news. That river will move toward people and touch them, change them, cleanse them, love them, free them, redeem them. Because that river is the Spirit. And the Spirit is always moving us toward Jesus and His redeeming work. Amen? I love this. Luke 6.45 says, the good person, and he's talking about a redeemed heart here, okay? 
He's not putting the world into good versus bad. Some people are good, some are bad. He's, he's making the point that when change comes, when the river of the Spirit begins to flow out of the heart, this is what can happen. He says in Luke 6.45, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Amen? So that's all review. And here's what I want to remind you of. Your job, your call, with the Spirit's help, is that you guard it, that you keep it, that you protect it, that you fill it, that you make sure that the right stuff's going in and the right stuff's coming out. That's your stewardship. And you don't have to do it on your own. God will help you. He's given you His Spirit. He's given you His Scripture. He's given you community. He's given you the opportunity for a confession. I mean, even today, as we were having communion, Pastor Ralph led us in that great gift we have called confession. Because in confession, we can lay it on the table. In confession, we can say, Lord, here's what's been going on in my heart. And I don't want it in there. It's clogging things up. I want it out. And so we confess it out. And we know, we're guaranteed, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we know with confession comes cleansing. And we're washed and renewed. Amen? Well, I want to contrast this and I want to uh, illustrate this with a story from Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It'll be up here on the screen. If you want to turn over there in your own Bible, you can. But Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, I want to take you into a story an encounter that Jesus has with some Pharisees. If you don't know, the Pharisees were a religious sect in Judaism at that time who had a lot of authority and a lot of power, and they prided themselves on their ability to keep the law perfectly, to keep the commandments. But not only did they keep the commandments perfectly, but they added a whole lot to the commandments. See, at that time, there were two rabbinic schools that existed in Jerusalem and and in Judaism. And those two rabbinic schools were kind of like, have have you ever read a commentary along with your Bible? Any of you ever read a commentary? So what they had done at that time is they had taken the writings of the Old Testament and then many rabbis over the centuries had written commentaries that went along with the writings of the Old Testament. But by the time of Jesus, they had assigned so much authority to what these rabbis had written about the law that they held them to, they held them actually to have, in many cases, more authority than the scripture themselves. So by the time Jesus comes on the scene, they've taken things like the Sabbath. And they've not only defined the Sabbath and written about the Sabbath, but they've added all kinds of requirements to keep the Sabbath. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and he recognizes these guys are putting a heavy burden and a heavy weight on people and they're keeping people away from God and I've got to deal with that. That's not what God's heart was for the people. It's not the essence of the law. Now before you get too judgy, I want you to think about your own life and your own Christian background. Those of you that have been raised in the church your whole life, I, I, I want to challenge you to think for a minute about how much of what you really believe to be true is actually Scripture and how much of it is commentary on Scripture. And I'm not saying commentary is bad. We all need to hear the journey of others. But here's what we have to be careful of. 
We have to be very careful that we don't give the same authority to what others have written about Scripture to Scripture itself. And, you know, some little examples would be you go to any church. Churches have traditions. They have customs. They all have liturgies. We have a liturgy. We might not call it that, but we have a liturgy. We have an order of service. We have a way we do things. I heard somebody say the other day, you know, the Bible teaches that we always need to have worship before the Word. And I'm like, really? Show that to me. Now, I'm not saying it's not a good thing. It's good to connect with God and worship and sing songs to Him and lift Him up and, and, and magnify Him and give Him honor and give Him glory. But somewhere, somebody saw a principle in Scripture that happened on an occasion, and they decided that's the rule. And we, we adopt those things. Or here's one I've heard from people over the years, and we don't practice it here, so I'm not concerned about it, but you know, when you go to church, you need to get dressed up. I heard somebody say one time, would you, appear like, would you appear like you're dressed right now before the president of the U.S.? Yeah. No, I get it. If I'm going to a special dinner, if it's a special occasion, if it's a black tie affair, I'm going to honor the custom. But it's custom. That's all it is. It doesn't have authority. Sometimes I'll invite people to church in our community, and they'll be like, man, I don't, you know, I don't have much as far as clothing goes. I said, just make sure you have clothing on, and we don't care what it looks like, and nobody's going to judge you, and if they do, I want you to come talk to me about it, and I'm going to call them on it, right? You come as you are. You are welcome. But see, we can assign authority to something like the way you dress, the way you speak. Without realizing it many times, we can add so many layers to the gospel and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and that's exactly what had happened during this time. So here we go. I have 10 minutes. Jesus, help me. Pray for me. Again, he entered the synagogue, he being Jesus, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus. The they here are the Pharisees. You'll see that in verse 6. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians, their enemies, against him, how to destroy him. This is the first time we see the scripture mention that they actually made a plan to kill Jesus. I want you to look at this and just take note of a few points, and I'm going to go through them as quickly as I can. Here's the first one. The evil heart of man-made religion watches to accuse. And And they watch Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. These religious leaders were trying to find a way to accuse Jesus of violating the Sabbath by working on it. Sabbath violation was a capital offense. To them, helping restore a human body and heart was work. They were missing the whole point of the Sabbath, namely to restore human beings. They cared more about keeping some rules that they had added to God's commandments than helping people be restored. Now, here's something to assess your beliefs about God and about religion. 
If you find that you're caught up on what is appropriate, what is customary over whether or not people are being helped, you got a problem. If somebody walks in here wearing a hat with a cuss word on it, and you're so gummed up about the cuss word on their, on their hat, but you don't care about the state of their soul, that means you're a Pharisee. Think about it. And that's what we do in the church. We make rules where there aren't any. By the way, that was an incident that we had happen here. Somebody with a hat with an F-bomb on it. And people all around him getting mad. And I'm like, give it a break. They're here. They're in the presence of God. They're hearing the word of God. Just saying. Right? Anybody love me? It ultimately doesn't matter, okay? See, they were missing the whole point. What was the Sabbath for? The Sabbath was created by God to restore human beings. It was created to give them a day of rest and restoration, right? By that time, they'd made it a burden. (sighs) Number two, the heart of Jesus goes to the true essence of God's law, verse 4. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Romans 13, 8 through 10 says this. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Listen carefully to the scripture, except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Do I have that text in my notes? I'm not, I don't, okay. Um, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Constable's notes say this, rather than avoiding a conflict, Jesus provoked one. He did so to teach his critics a lesson. His question raised the issue of Sabbath observance from the level of what was legal to the level of what was moral. For Jesus not to heal the man would have been a violation of God's purpose for the Sabbath, namely to bring blessing to people. Moreover, by healing the man, Jesus was doing good, whereas the Pharisees were doing evil evil on the Sabbath by trying to trap him. Mark alone wrote that the critics kept quiet, probably to clarify their guilt. Wow. Number three, the heart of Jesus is angry and grieved at hard-hearted religion. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. You know, this is the only place in the New Testament where a writer explicitly states that Jesus was angry. We know he was angry when he drove them out of the temple, but it doesn't say he was angry. This text says he was angry. He's both angry and grieved in this text. If you read between the lines, you can see how saddened he must have been to see such a level of hardness of heart. These leaders didn't care about the man's condition, but only how they might eliminate Jesus because he represented a threat to the religious system. See, Jesus came on the scene and they recognized, man, if this guy has his way, we're all going to be out of a job. We got to get rid of him. He's going to turn the whole thing upside down. He's going to mess it all up. Number four, the heart of Jesus always seeks to restore broken people. You know, start there. When you think about the gospel, when you think about what we believe, ask yourself the question, yes, does it glorify God ultimately is the first question. The second question is, does it restore people? Does it bring people to know Him? 
does it bring people to God's intention for them? Amen? He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Constable's notes again say, since Jesus did not use anything but his word to heal the man, his enemies could not charge him with performing work on the Sabbath. Think about this. Jesus' creative work on this occasion recalls his work in creating the cosmos. The Pharisees should have made the connection and worshiped Jesus as God. What am I saying? Jesus, all he did was say, stretch out your hand. I want you to notice he trapped them. You see, he didn't reach over and grab the man's hand. He didn't lay hands on him. He just said, stretch out your hand. And that was enough for them in their mind to justify going out and setting up a plan to destroy him. When all he did was speak, as he spoke in the beginning when the heavens and the earth were created, he simply said, stretch out your hand. And the guy stretched out his hand and it was healed. He spoke and it happened. Now they're in a bit of a dilemma. Jesus said that if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. Jesus once again demonstrates for us what God the Father would do for this man. Jesus is the restorer of withered people, the broken and rejected and the outcast. Amen? It's ironic that his hand was withered. Think about this in 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 the text, in the context of the text. Think about this. It's ironic that his hand was withered because hands all through the Bible represent power, work, and industry. Jesus did not stretch out his hand and work to heal a hand that needed to work. Jesus only speaks and the hand is healed. All he said was, stretch out your hand, and his hand was restored. Sometimes all that Jesus wants wants us to do is give our withered and broken condition, and he will work with whatever we give him. Amen? And that's what he did here. He stretched out his hand, and it was healed. And this takes me to my last point, the evil heart of man-made religion, counsels together to destroy the heart of Jesus. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Constable's notes again say this. I really love this writer. This is Mark's first explicit reference to Jesus' death. Jesus' enemies had decided to destroy him. They only needed to plan how. In spite of their objections to Jesus working on the Sabbath, they did not mind plotting his death on that day. His words and works from their viewpoint undermined their whole approach to the law, their piety, and their actions. Beware of hard-hearted, man-made religion. It always seeks to accuse people and add requirements to the perfect law of love found in Jesus. It's so easy to get caught up in things that are minor points in faith and to miss the desire of God to restore broken people. I want to talk about this. One of the things that saddens me most as I watch over the years that I've followed Jesus is when I watch people get caught up on little points in the faith and make those hills to die on. And they get caught up on end time stuff. They get caught up on, you know, whether or not, you know, Christians should worship a certain way or sing certain ways or whatever. We get caught up on minors, we build them into majors, and in the meantime, we swallow a camel. Right? That's what Jesus said. We swallow a camel. Right? We we miss the whole point of the gospel. We miss 
the beauty of the gospel. When Jesus stepped down onto planet earth, he came here to begin a restoration process of creation. And he starts with every human heart. And so I just ask myself the question, you know, as you know, a couple weeks ago we had a funeral here. And there were hundreds of people all over this place. And many of them were hardcore bikers. And a few of those bikers said this. They said, it's so cool you even agreed to have a funeral here. Because most of the churches we know would never have a funeral like this in their church building. They're too afraid. And I remember thinking at that time, seriously? Really? And I've heard Christians over the years say, we don't want to defile the space. Do you know your New Testament? Do you understand that this isn't the temple? That this is the temple? Yes, this ground is holy because we're holy, if you're a follower of Jesus. But there's nothing inherently, you know, temple-esque about this building in particular. <laughs> right? The reason God's here is because His people are here. And the space has been set aside for His purpose. But it's just block and mortar and carpet, right? Wood, hay and stubble. (laughs) But the true dwelling place of God is the human heart. I was thinking a couple weeks ago, you know, if Jesus, as I said last Sunday, if Jesus was here... He would have had that memorial service. Right? And I just want to say to you, if you're here today and you you would say to me, you know, maybe you're risking being here today. Maybe somebody invited you or you got a word about coming here today and and you um you're a guest, maybe here for the first time and you're checking us out, but you may have had a bad experience in your past with religion, with organized religion. You might say, churches have burned me, leaders have burned me. I want to say something to you. First and foremost, you're always going to be disappointed in people. Pastors are going to disappoint you. People are going to disappoint you. You know, you hang around our church long enough, and you're going to start start to see our stuff. We don't have it together. We're all pretty broken and messed up. We're trying to journey together to get closer to Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you something. We're a mess. Sorry. Somebody's bubble just went, you know. It's okay. Because that's why we're here. That's why we're gathered together, because we're broken people moving toward the healer, moving toward the restorer. And I want to tell you, you're welcome here, and we invite you, and we want you to be a part of our family. We want you to be a part of our community. We don't care about your past. I mean, we care about it in this way. We have compassion for you, and if we can help you get healed, we want you to get healed. But it, it doesn't disqualify you from being here. And you might say to me, you don't know where I come from. No, I don't. But that's okay. He does. Welcome home. Welcome home. See, it's easy to get caught up in those minor things and to miss the desire of God. God wants to restore broken people. There will always be groups and individuals who want to destroy the simple, beautiful heart of Jesus to restore people to right relationship with God. 
that I want to tell you today, you can turn to him. You can receive a new heart that's soft and open to God's movements and plans. You can receive a new heart with God's commandments written on it. And you can be made new. Because the maker, the creator of universes and hearts is here right now.